0: Hi, I'm Dennis Sheeran.
1: And I'm Raymond Steinmetz from the Instant Relevance Podcast. And we're part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com.
0: Hey, not so long ago, my uh, my wedding band broke. That's right. And it was unrepairable. Well, that was Crazy. And, you know, and BoonRings.com came to my rescue. That's Boon Titanium Rings. You can find them at BoonRings.com. And, uh, by the way, they're now a, an affiliate partner of ours. But I also use them. My wedding band is now one of their rings. And it's really cool. It's laser engraved and has these these neat stars on it and pistons. But they came to my rescue. And I got to tell you what's really cool, and it's in the name itself. They make titanium rings this is not going to break, right? <laughs> no way. So not only can you have them personalized, but you can have them engraved. You can have them carved. You can have, uh, you can have them, uh, you know, designs with, uh, um, wood, meteorite, stone, precious metals, acrylic, and uh, other inlays. You can also have uh, uh, these neat rings that, uh, I mean, just wait till you see the the black zirconium and stealth series rings. I mean, those are just way too cool. And, and you know, and they also make some really cool tool earrings, pendants, and cufflinks. Yeah, boon Rings is pretty cool. That's right. You ought to go to boonrings.com and they're an affiliate partner of ours, which means that if you go to checkout and you use my code, teaching, learning, leading K-12. So you want to use all caps T-L-L-K and the number 12. So once again, you use my code, which is all caps T-L-L-K and the number 12 at checkout, you'll get a 10% discount. That's right. And, uh, you'll help out the podcast because we'll get a commission. So go to boonrings.com. You'll be glad you did. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Aaron Pribble. Aaron is an award-winning educator, high school social studies teacher, and the author of several books, including his most recent, which is our main topic for today, Writing in the Social Studies, a practical guide for teaching an essential skill. What a cool conversation, all kinds of good stuff to use right now. Thanks for listening. And by the way, before you go, it would be so cool if you would go to my website, stephenmoletto.com slash reviews, and go in there and rate and review the podcast. Could you do that for me? That would be so awesome. Enjoy the show. District leaders nationwide have confirmed that online learning is here to stay, as one in five districts are planning to adopt or have already adopted a fully online school. With the evolving landscape in the competitive field of education, you might be wondering what you can do to stand out. Well, I encourage you to look into National Virtual Teacher Association, or NVTA, to pursue a college-accredited program recognized by states across the country to certify educators in online education. Their certification empowers educators to provide the world-class virtual instruction that every student deserves. The average teacher needs one semester to complete the program, and it culminates in a digital portfolio that you may use in job interviews or even with your current administration to, you know, (laughs) negotiate a raise or promotion. Some of the topics to be covered in the certification include establishing relationships in the virtual environment, virtual instruction best practices, differentiation in the virtual classroom, and managing virtual resources. The NVTA certification process was created to establish a valid and reliable research-based teacher qualification training process for virtual teachers to enhance their teaching and develop their ongoing reflective skills to improve teaching capacity. NVTA certification is a challenging and meaningful process to support your personal and professional goals. NVTA is an affiliate partner for Teaching Learning Leading K-12. Click the link in the show notes or go to my webpage, stevenmoletto.com, find the NVTA logo and go to their website that way. And if you do that, if you buy something, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 gets a commission. And I greatly thank you for that. So go check them out. I think you'll be glad you did. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now, here's Steve with this week's show. Aaron Pribble is the author of Writing in the Social Studies, a practical guide for teaching an essential skill. He's also the author of Teacherland, Inside the Myth of the American Educator, and Pitching in the Promised Land, a story of the first and only season in the Israel Baseball League. An award-winning educator, Aaron teaches social studies at Tamil Pius High School in Mill Valley, California. Today, we're going to focus on his newest book, Writing in the Social Studies, a practical guide for teaching an essential skill. Aaron, thanks for joining me today and say hi to everyone. Hey, Steve. And hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, it's glad, I'm just so glad that you're here, Aaron. And, and uh, um, let's start by something I read in your bio. Uh, I read that you're a high school social studies teacher. So what do you like most about
1: working with kids? It's, a, it's an interesting question. I think really students and especially teenagers keep you young. You know, I think maybe some people, kids, teenagers can make them feel old, but I continue every day to get energized by young people. Not that I care a ton about fashion and the culture of 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 year olds, but I always tend to notice fashion trends, linguistic trends in teenagers before they tend to spread out to the rest of the country. That's very cool, very cool. That's you know, it's it, it it's
0: definitely never a dull moment. Having spent my career in high school for the most part, the uh it's, uh it's it's always uh like I said never a dull moment. That's cool that uh that's a big part of what uh, what you like there because we're kids, you know. It's if you want to freak them out sometime just really uh um know a little bit about what they're talking about.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: What? Hey, you speak <laughs> that lingo. That's not good. That's <laughs> Good stuff. So, uh, so Aaron, if you could go back in time with you just before you started teaching, what is one piece of advice you would give yourself?
1: You know, I think that I would focus a little bit less on polishing the perfect lesson the 10 minutes before class and spend a little bit more time on the building of relationships with students I think as a young teacher you're free what's my hook what what's my formative assessment what's my summative assessment how am I going to fill 60 minutes or 90 minutes or whatever it is and I just remember that that first year in particular kind of sitting at my screen going over the lesson plan what am I doing what am I doing what am I doing oftentimes kids would walk in the room and I wouldn't necessarily engage with them until the bell would ring or something like that I might just say hello. I think if I were to do it over again, what I'd tell my young self is build a relation. Make sure you're building relationships with students. Take those five minutes when you're freaking out about your lesson plan. Talk to a student, say hello. What's what's going on in their life? I, I think that's probably the choicest piece of advice I'd offer. I love that
0: as advice. That's so
1: cool because that's that's you know getting to know who they are,
0: and uh, just plays such a bigger role I think than uh, making the lesson perfect. So totally agree. Good stuff. Uh, you know, in the in the preface of your book, and your book is "Writing in the Social Studies: A Practical Guide for Teaching an Essential Skill." You note this. It's been my experience that the best professional development has come horizontally from fellow teachers. What do you mean?
1: I think a lot of teachers and administrators, folks who've been around education, can appreciate that sometimes maybe outside consultants will will come in and if the lesson or the the in-service is not tailored to the really the needs of the teachers it sometimes doesn't really land how it's supposed to now that could be true for anybody who's who's presenting but if there's a teacher in the district teaching fellow teachers or someone from around nearby something like that, It's often going to be more compelling because that teacher, that administrator, that consultant will know exactly what those other teachers want. So if the most help that I've gotten in, in my career, whether it's talking about student issues, whether it's how to format a thesis, how much homework to assign, stuff like that. The most help that I've gotten has been from my colleagues, whether in the same school, across the district, colleagues across the country. I felt that that horizontal advice and professional development has been, has been really key to, to my development as a teacher.
0: That's awesome. I, you know, and just as a note, you're so right. I mean, it's so cool because um, a lot of times colleagues have that answer or at least that suggestion or they've had some experience and, uh, you know, it's a, that's, I, I like that a lot. That's very cool. Uh, You know, before I leave the preface, because I really had, you had a lot of stuff in there that I could, and then you had an introduction that I could even pull more from. (laughs) I figured, well, okay, people are going to want me to get a little beyond all those areas. So, but before I leave the preface, you also say this, over the years, I have also found there never quite seems to be enough time during the school day for this type of work. Department meetings, prep periods, chats in the hall between classes never suffice. For example, I've been engaged in an on and off debate for multiple years running with my erstwhile English teaching partner about how to properly construct a thesis. The following pages are at least in part a response to him and a reflection of my yearning for a larger and more sustained conversation rather than intermittent bursts of dialogue. Maybe you have felt the same. Okay, we got to talk about this, all right, because I love this, you know, and I mean, you immediately
1: made me think of some former colleagues and such like that. So tell us where where you're coming from with this. Yeah. Well, you know, if you think about the the schedule we and where, where I teach just north of San Francisco in the Bay Area, we have one staff meeting a week. Maybe we got an hour, maybe it's an hour and a half, something like that. And that's devoted to a number of different things. But if you have one, let's just say you have one department meeting a month, maybe it's less, maybe it's more, that's not a whole lot of time to collaborate with colleagues. And ideally it will also happen on prep periods and stuff like that. But just in my experience, a lot of that stuff gets pushed to the side for the exigencies of helping the student, grading these papers, answering this email. So just structurally, there's not a lot of time during the day. So I think a lot of teacher business gets done in the halls between periods, which is which is great. You see a teacher. You say, "Hey, about this student, send them to my class for whatever." But that's just not a, a whole lot of time to have sustained conversations. The lunchroom, I think, is is key. You know, you have that hour, that half hour to talk with colleagues, to blow off steam, but also to talk about. Issues in, in your classroom and your practice, but it's gotta be it's gotta be more than that. So I taught with an English teaching partner for a number of years, two-year freshman and, and sophomore cycle, English and history together. And it was wonderful, and it was great to collaborate him with him, but he had a different idea about a thesis than I did, and it was a loving relationship, but we'd give each other a hard time, we'd argue back and forth. And really, this book is an extension, at least in part of that, arguing with my teaching friend and partner, arguing with myself, kind of that internal conversation, you put it out on the page and, and that's the result. I love it. I love it. I mean, there's, a, there's a colleague I've, I've lost touch with him over the
0: years. So we were best buds in those days. And, uh, and uh, he was English and I was history. And he had this uh, particular way that he liked about writing and certain things. And and so you just made me have flashbacks. When I read that sentence, I laughed out loud and went, hey, I think I've been there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think that's cool, especially because you put it in the preface, which is very good. so <laughs> we can be a little territorial, you know, with our with our departments and English versus social studies, but at least we're on the humanities at the end of the day. There you go. There you go. Just a little
0: territorial. Yeah, you know, hey, hey, in my my experience, it's not so much the English in this history departments. It was always the math department. there you
1: go that's a whole other can of worms
0: there you go exactly you know uh, um, Aaron uh, let's get into the into the book itself and uh, you know chapter one gets straight to the point you explain this writing is a skill and skills take repetition to master when teaching almost any skill the following template applies explain model practice give feedback practice
1: could you tell us more Sure. Yeah. Early on in my teaching career, Tony, Tony Wagner had a big impact on me. I remember a college, just back to our horizontal professional development, talking to teachers in the halls. A fellow social studies colleague of mine recommended the Global Achievement Gap by Tony Wagner. And I remember in there, just the simple line, teaching skills through content. And that was so empowering for me, the the content matters, but also you got to teach skills in addition to content, need to teach students how to read, write and speak. And that's, I've kept that in, you know, in my mind to this day, And I think about, you know, you talked about my younger self or younger self as a teacher, my very first year teaching social studies, I was helping out the varsity basketball coach and he introduced a simple skill not to get into the weeds of basketball, but how to get open on the wing if you're waiting for a pass for a point guard or whoever, how do you get open on the wing, a V cut, an L cut or a seal, and he explained it. And then he modeled it himself. And then he had a player come out and model it. And then we did drills. And if a student did something good or bad, he'd give him positive feedback or blow the whistle and stop right on the spot. And as I was trying to figure out how to teach, I was also watching the head coach coach. And I realized that there was a lot of similarity, whether you're teaching students how to write an analytical paragraph or teaching students how to get open on the wing, you're teaching a skill and that, and that template can apply. You explain the thing, you do a little demo, you show some models and then you give, students coaches players the opportunity to practice 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 very cool and that's that's uh, it, it, it's it's so it's just good information and
0: good good thoughts about you know developing those skills and that's uh, and you know the concept of practice you know we do it in lots of other things well, why not what we do in the classroom
1: yeah, it's, it's true. And, you know, we're focusing on writing here, but if we're teaching kids how to, how to read, if we're teaching kids how to speak, if you're teaching kids how to make a movie or do a podcast, you know, it's a, it can be applied to those things as well.
0: Most definitely. How do you get better at podcasting? Practice. Practice. <laughs> yeah, it's very good. I like that. Yeah. Chapter two is titled Writing is Thinking. In this chapter, you talk about the role that annotation and note-taking play Explain a little bit of that. Go go a little bit further with that.
1: Yeah, sure. So the, the notion of writing is thinking. You know, read reading is in some ways reading is a is a passive uh, endeavor, whereas writing is an active endeavor. Although you know, we encourage our students to be active readers to to question the text, to interact with it, to make personal connections. So some skills like annotating, marking up a text, it really forces students to be active readers to engage with the text as circles, boxes, stars, questions, disagreements uh, in, in the margin. I think that can really help students become active readers because there's nothing better than reading something and being so engaged and then to have a conversation with it. But in addition to that, when we talk about the benefits of, of reading and writing, you know, the more one reads, the better writer they'll become because they know what good writing sounds like. So I think step one or an an early step is you want to become a good writer, read. And once you read a lot, you know, what good writing sounds like. That's really important. That's awesome. Love it.
0: Yes. Uh, And uh, I got to ask you a question because, you know, I I can't leave this behind. We were talking about departments before. So have you been visited by any, uh, any colleague that said, you know, you're, you're in the social studies department. Can you leave the writing to us? (laughs)
1: you know you know i ne- I never have that's that that's that's fascinating and although i'm I'm gonna continue to think about it I never have if anything I think it's been there's a push to like, have writing in in different disciplines. So can we write in science? Can we write in foreign languages? I know our PE department has done a little writing as well. Writing across the curriculum is something that's maybe, it's ebbed and flowed over the years. If anything, it's been, hey, let's write more and more and more. But no, that'd be be pretty funny. Although I suppose I'll I'll wait for the day to someone to say, hey, knock it off. The essay is my territory. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Sorry,
0: just... thought just occurred to me and and, and so anyway we got uh, thanks for talking about that Uh, yeah yeah um sorry i just have this vision that has to happen at lunchtime in the uh, cafeteria you know gotta have an audience so
1: (laughs) that's right yeah a throwdown, a smackdown, verbal exactly. smackdown.
0: Stay away from my essays. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I really like the way that you formatted each chapter. Uh, you know, at the end you have a, a section called key ideas, and then you provide an opportunity. Speaking of which, to practice or review what you talked about in the chapter. Could you share why you did this?
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of a well, it's a little bit funny that just because my my editor said I should, so I had you know <laughs> written a draft, and this was actually the. Roman and Littlefield is a publisher. My book before is Teacher Land, published by the, the same folks. And it went through some v- various drafts that actually started out as like a first person memoir and then became second or third person to make it a little more textbooky, not too textbooky, but they're an academic publisher. And that was one of the things that he suggested. I think it's a I think it's a great idea. And I think both books are better off for those key ideas, but I can't claim any credit. If anything, to be honest, I was against it at the beginning just because, you know, why is this editor telling me what to do? But but as is the case, more often than not, he was completely right, and that's why I feel so grateful to have had a, a trustworthy and a, and a skilled editor by my side. That's cool because it, it it
0: works. It really it really helps because you if you read the chapter, then and then you have a chance to have some thoughts about you know, these are the some things that uh, we talked about here before, and now here's a chance for you to uh, to take your hand at it, which I thought was cool.
1: When also just just to add one more thing to that, you know, the, the purpose, it's it's supposed to be a practical guide. It's supposed to be as helpful. Hopefully it's an enjoyable read, but more than anything, I want it to be helpful to administrators, to teachers in particular. So if they can flip, what's, what do I need to know about annotating again? They can go to the section of the book or boom, to your point, they can just go right to the end of the chapter. And then at the end of each chapter is also handouts and stuff. And the purpose of those Oh, if you are into, if you want to teach your students how to annotate an essay or a, or a reading for homework or something, make a photocopy of the book and give those to students directly. Hopefully, the, in addition to the key ideas, the handouts will be user friendly for teachers too.
0: And it, it is—it's very user friendly, and you know, and I, and I know you said that you, you want it to be focused on practical because it is, but it's also—you've got a nice way of writing. All right. So I appreciate that. It it flows nice. It's uh, you want to keep reading and uh, and you're not stumbling for as a reader because, you know, you need like three PhDs to explain what those words mean, you know. Right. Right. (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: So kudos. Uh, Chapter four gets into the writing process where you say this from start to finish. There are a number of stages in the writing process steps seasoned writers take naturally while neophytes rush or skip over altogether. Could you explain a little more about this? And by the way, this one made me laugh too.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I think for, for all those teachers out there, former teachers, students want to jump right to the first draft. They just get right to it. Let me start writing. Let me get the first draft down. Maybe it's because... I have an hour to do this paper, or it's 10:30 at night and it's due tomorrow, or it's a time essay, or whatever is the case. They tend to step up, uh, skip over some of those pre-writing strategies. Brainstorming and outlining are just hugely, hugely important. And you can do, you know, a, a thought bubble, a, a tree. There are very diff- various different, um, like more formal techniques to brainstorm. But brainstorming can happen when you're taking a walk. You know, when you're when you're brushing your teeth. I think when people who who have ideas and want to cultivate these ideas, at least. With with one of the ways this book came about is I just kept notes on my phone or notes wherever. I would have a, a Google Doc and kept it in the cloud. If I had an idea boom, put it on there. And it's almost like, you know, the post-its, the whiteboard. And I think students often overlook those initial steps in the writing process, but they can be hugely consequential. You have your general outline and then your general brainstorming, just throw ideas. That's really fun. The idea generation stage. And then you kind of put that into a, into a skeletal outline and then you put meat on the bones, you flesh it out. And I talk about this a little bit later. Um, but, the, the terror of the blank page sitting down to write that first draft is really tough. I shouldn't say... Barack Obama, President Obama in the same sentence as, as Aaron Proble, but his, his book, which was called A Promised Land, I think, there was a, a line in there that somebody told me about that was similar, which was the, the, he, he said something like, and I'm paraphrasing, the tear of the blank page. And I think a lot of writers or even students who have been forced to do an essay can relate to this, sitting down at a blank screen or the blank page, knowing that you have to write 100 words or 100 pages or anywhere in between is terrifying. It's really really tough. And in my experience, I'll procrastinate, I'll clean the kitchen, my house will be spotless before just anything, anything I can think of to possibly not sit down and write. That's the the most difficult phase in the writing process for me. Once a draft is down, it's actually fun to polish and revise and kind of see it come together. That's a really enjoyable process for me, but man, sitting down to begin is tough. And I got to
0: say this because I just, because of what you just talked about, because you're right. I mean, it's like you sit down and, and I'm with you on that. Uh, you know, everything else becomes important suddenly. <laughs> and right. you now what's cool is that, I mean, you got three books under your belt now and uh, you know, this is awesome, man. You, and uh, um, so I, I got to ask you, so you, you've you started with that blank page and not only have yeah. you written, you've completed three books. So How'd you do that? What's your magic secret? Before we go for yeah,
1: the the magic secret is have have your first kid in your late thirties in your mid to late thirties rather than your mid to late twenties. That's just the way it worked out for me. But I think I probably sublimated a lot of that energy into sitting down and and writing. If you know, I got teacher and there's summer breaks and spring break and stuff like that. Had some time, and I thought you know, it's not like I was changing diapers or getting up seven times a night. So I, I think I just had the time. And really I I just eked this book out. When my son was when my son was born, I really just eked this book out. You know, he's he's in bed and I got tired enough from the day and you crank out an hour or two in the evening. So I'm not sure how many more will come, at least for a while 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 he's young and maybe he'll have a sibling on the way. Who knows? But I think it's going to stop uh stop here for a while. The the other the other thing I'd say about it is I never necessarily thought that I would like become a writer or something like that. But it, it just kind of was one of those things, confluence of factors fell into my lap. I had a crazy experience playing in the first and only season of professional baseball in Israel, and everybody said, oh, kind of like Bull Durham in Tel Aviv, if you can picture that. And everybody said, you should keep a journal. My mom said, you should keep a journal. And sons never listen to their mothers, even when they're, you know, 27. So ah whatever. But a, a teacher who was a real mentor for me, uh, really my writing mentor, he was just finishing out his career. He had taught Russell Hill, taught 52 years in the classroom. And he was just whatever, filling in for an English teacher. And he said, he'd written a bunch of novels. He said, Aaron, you know, you should keep a journal. And I, th- and I thought to myself, that's a great idea, regardless of the fact that other people told me, because someone that I respected and looked up to said, you should keep a journal. i it was the best idea in the world. Sometimes it's not the message, but the messenger. So I kept a journal that whole summer and it was an insane summer. It was crazy. And I thought, you know what? There's a story to tell. But since I'd kept this journal, this, this record for just for my own sake, it made the process a lot easier. And so in some ways I, I just lucked out and then I just tried my best to do it. And I was like, we talked about before, practice, practice, practice. First drafts were pretty darn bad, but you get better at it just like anything. So cool, so cool. That's I appreciate you taking a detour there for a minute talking
0: about that. Yeah, because um, it also fits with something we're going to talk about in a minute. Because you practice and what you preach in part of your book, so well, that's, which is really cool. So uh, let, let's go back into the book. You know, chapter six is awesome. And not that there's anything wrong with the other chapters. Okay. So I don't want to offend any of the chapters. I mean, it's like, (laughs) there's good stuff going on there, Um, but it's called real world writing and you identify and then discuss writing activities like the legal brief, the family research project and speech writing. And you have others like white papers and, and uh, other, other such um, activities, you know, what are you hoping that the reader will
1: find here? Yeah. Well, just, just to kind of back up one step to think, not to, Talk about the stuff that you skipped over, but it's basically like the research paper, document-based question, five the analytical essay. That's just kind of boilerplate textbook social studies writing, and that stuff's important. But I'm but I'm with you. I think what really gets students excited, what's what gets me excited, is to try to make curriculum relevant. And I think one of the ways that we do that is to expand beyond the four walls of the classroom. So I I think an interesting example is like the book report. I don't know how many high school teachers do book reports, but that's just that stereotypical or traditional elementary school assignment. I have never read a book report outside of a classroom, but I've read plenty of book reviews and a book review is a great genre. So teaching students, let's say you're, you're in a world history class and you're doing like an independent reading assignment, which is great. Let students choose a book about some area of history that they're particularly interested in, let them write book reviews. They're gonna read in the New York Re- Review of Books or wherever, actual book reviews. And that's cool. And you can actually tell students, you can you can actually get paid. Someone will pay you money for writing a review. This is a real thing. Another real-world writing assignment: the op-ed. You know, you can talk about an essay, the, a standard analytical essay, but there are many, many other ways of writing an essay. And an op-ed. You know, how many how many essays did you read today? How many essays did I read today? Well, I read a couple of op-eds, right? And that's that's just like you know an essay. Maybe it's a thousand words. Maybe it's 800. Students could do that. So actually, asking students to write an op-ed as a you know let's say a summative unit assignment or something that's that's real worldwide writing you could take it a step further you could you could actually and i've done this in the past require that students submit their op-ed to a paper to a national publication to a local publication most of them won't get published or better yet to their school's newspaper and seeing students who don't necessarily have a history of writing they're They're silly social studies teachers making them do it for an assignment and for a grade, but they turn around and they get published in the school newspaper. We had a girl a couple of years ago, get published locally with some, some stuff that was, was going on in our, in our County. And it was, you know, I saw her face light up. I see students faces light up. So showing them not only that there's writing that exists in the real world, but they can actually participate in that. They can write a book review. They can write an op-ed and golly, it could actually get published. It's a pretty cool thing. That's awesome! I love it.
0: I love it. And th- those types of activities, like you said, there's so many, there's so much potential there. I mean, learning a little bit about the different ways that people use writing in in the world uh, is so powerful. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's as opposed to just always, you know, we're gonna, like you said, a book report.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the traditional book report. Yeah, not not exactly that that useful, but the book review, like you said, I've read a lot of them as. Yeah. I'm looking for people's input on, on such. So uh, good stuff. I, I gotta, I gotta say this is one of, one of the sections that I really loved in there was the one where you talk about speech writing, you know, because, you know, if you're going to give a speech, well, then you need to learn how to write it. And uh, and that's what an incredible tool that is right there.
1: Yeah, that's so true. And that's a good example. I had a couple of my own colleagues read drafts of the book and that was one um, that wasn't in the initial draft and he read it over and he said, what about speech writing? And I was like, that's an amazing idea. I can't believe I didn't think of it. And so that, you know, we talk about horizontal professional development, asking friends, asking colleagues to read early drafts. So I I can't take credit for that. I I stole it from my buddies and teachers, but but he's absolutely right. You know, whether it's, and you could talk about I, th- I think personally, think it's important to have students do at least one speech a semester, but multiple, maybe one speech a year, but giving kids an opportunity to speak in a, in a formal setting, in addition to debates and everything else is really important. I mean, the, the wedding speech that at, at a business doing a presentation, there's a, a lot of opportunities for life where we need to become good speakers. And, and I think um, the speech is a bit of a paradox and you, you alluded to this a little bit. You want a speech to sound natural and human, but got to write it first. So whatever you got to brainstorm, take some notes, put it into an outline. But then I think the one extra twist on a speech is once you've written it up, then you put it back into an outline because I'm certainly more human if I'm just looking at bullet points and kind of filling it in naturally than if I'm reading a speech. And I just, just thinking about the wedding speech, you, we've probably all seen the, the person who stands up there and they've got the five pages and they're turning it over and you're going, oh my gosh, when's this going to end? But if someone just gets up there and tells stories, it's way more compelling. And if you're more compelling, if you're more engaging, then the content is going to sink in better too.
0: Very much so. And it just is a side note. I'm a, I'm a former officer in the, in the army and, uh, the very first, uh, real formal, not, not in classes because we gave plenty of speeches in classes and things like this, but the very first, everything mattered speech that I gave, uh, was, uh, we were, I was signal Corps, and we were doing war games where we were helping, uh, field artillery and infantry and all those guys talk to each other. And, uh, part of the system went down, right? And we couldn't figure out what was wrong. And we we're trying to figure out, we're troubleshooting. And meanwhile, a very angry infantry general decided to come talk to the lieutenant who was in charge. <laughs> and uh, and so he wanted, he expected an overview. Exactly very happy. And that was my first real, I had to write up all this stuff about what we'd done, what was going on that we're, and in the end, um You know, he basically said to me, just, he goes, before you say anything else, by the way, I'm going to eliminate most of what he said. (laughs) If you get my drift.
1: Not (laughs) academic.
0: Yes, not academic and not appropriate for uh, most years. But the first thing he said to me is, before you talk to me, I want you to understand one thing. I just want to know what you think. And I said, we don't know what the problem is right now. But we're working on it. And he said, That's all I needed to know. Now show me everything else and, <laughs> and blah, That's blah, blah, great. Blah. That's it was great. awesome. And I and I was worried because I'd been given some advice that I should tell him that sunspots were interfering with everything. And uh, he uh, he at the end, as he's leaving, told me, he goes, You don't understand how lucky you are that you didn't tell me something about sunspots. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I look looked back at the guy who said that to me and I'm like, you know, so my point is, is that, yeah, the importance of that speech, I heard you talking about that too. And that's, that just hit kind of home there so that, you know, your life's not dependent on it, depending on if you use the word sunspots or not.
1: Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's a speech or, or writing, you got to tell the truth, right? I mean, there's, there's the, the, the BS per, um, detector, whether it's in a speech or whether it's in writing and that comes out loud and clear. So you got, you got to be honest or it'll get, it'll get picked apart. That's awesome. I, I got to ask. So what, what grades do you teach? I've now I teach 11th and 12th graders, juniors and seniors, but you know, I've taught taught nine through 12 over the year. You know, that you go from being a, a youngish teacher to That's middle cool. teacher. And then all of a sudden the, the years tick by and it's like, I haven't been teaching for over a decade. Oh my gosh. I've been teaching for over a decade. What the heck happened? So the, the coaching and the club things and teaching the classes and you know, you teach for long enough and you tend to do it all. You got that right. And, uh, it's, it, that's, that's,
0: that's funny. You're right. So I, you know, one of the things, uh, I, the reasons why I brought that up is that I, uh, I really enjoyed teaching 10th graders and, yeah, uh, and 10th graders believe that you should believe what they say just because they say it. And that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, so anyway, that's what you made me think about there. So good stuff. What, uh, you know, Aaron, what, what do you think is a challenge that teachers face? With writing assessments. So you have a section in there where you get into the idea of uh grading and and assessments and things like this. What do you think is one of those challenges they face?
1: I I think hand hands down, the biggest is how am I going to assign all this writing? I'm not going to have time to grade it. So efficient feedback is is key. I was talking to an English teacher friend, and she was out at a cafe. I was there to buy a book or something, and she was at this bookstore cafe place. It was like what? What are you doing there on a Saturday, on a Sunday? And then I just—it was the first time in my mind that I went through if each paper, if you each paper takes five minutes to grade, and you got a hundred papers, just to use round numbers, maybe it's less, maybe it's more. That's a full day's work, you know, and that's one writing assignment. So you're gonna do how many of those? You're gonna do five of those a semester. That's an extra five days. It really adds up. So. I think it's, it's tough and I have a lot of, we were kind of joking about our, our English teaching colleagues, but I have a lot of respect for those who, who assign writing because it's tough to grade. So. I'm not suggesting necessarily that you spend five minutes on every paper, but efficient feedback. So we talk about how to use a rubric, how to mark up a rubric, how to kind of give students at the beginning of the year. One thing that I do on my syllabi is I'll say I have my own annotation guide. So if you see an underline, that just means that it's important for me. If you see a star, that's great. An X, it's bad. A circle, it's wrong. Something like that. So when I'm just going quickly through it and marking it up, kind of like my own hieroglyphics, students will go back and understand what that means because- you know, the writing in the margins is, is great for students and giving them feedback is great, but it takes so darn long. So the, the, the first one, there's, there's many, of course, there's many issues, but the first is how am I going to, I okay, I'm with you. I think it's good to assign writing. I don't have the hours in the day. I don't have the hours in the semester to grade all of it. You got that right. That's, uh, you start writing
0: a lot. I could see that, especially that's a huge discussion point right there, because that's, uh, you know, after a while, your family members start going, are you going to finish grading those some time today? You know, we would like to have you back in the family.
1: <laughs> One of my, with the, the teachers that I eat with, the, the lunch crew that we call them, just my teacher buds. And we, all, we often joke about taking the papers for a ride. So a teacher, Friday m- lunch, Friday afternoon, teacher comes in with their bag of papers, puts it in their Honda Civic procrastinates on Saturday, procrastinates on Sunday. Wouldn't you know, the papers come back right there in that bag. You haven't graded a single one. You've just taken the papers for a ride. Very nice. You know, field uh, papers need field trips too, you know? That's right, that's right. That's nice. like It'll that. help you clean your house if you bring those papers home.
0: <laughs> yes, very much so. Maybe that's what it is. It just guilt you into doing something else. I gotta get, I gotta get this fixed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Uh, uh, so you know, by the way, you just make me think of something else, you know, before I was joking about teachers complaining about, you know, from other departments that, you know, you're, you're not supposed to be teaching essays. Do you have the kids ever say, Hey, wait a second. This isn't writing class. You ever have a kid say that.
1: Yeah, def- definitely. Or, or the eye roll or the shrug or the shuffle or, you know, <laughs> all, all those different moves, but I, th- I think they probably know, know better than, than to ask that question now. Not, not that I will ever lecture them or get mad at them, but it's like, oh, this is a great subject. I would love to talk about this subject. So, so let's have a discussion. And I'll list the 17 reasons why I think it's important for you to write. And that uh, it's probably like, you know, with, with your parent or your uncle or whatever. Okay. Just like, just stop talking. If you'll just stop talking, then I'll just agree and, and submit. So <laughs> they, they would probably not just not want the lecture anyways. And okay, fine. I'll write the paper if, if you right. just stop talking about it. No teenagers will. <laughs> yeah. Coming up as we're getting close to the conclusion
0: of your book, you know, one of the things you get into is you, you you basically say that teachers should write, not just talk about it. Why do you think that?
1: I think if you want to be good at something, the, the best way to get good at something is, is to do it yourself. If you want to teach something, you know, we all learn by doing. So the best way to become a better writing teacher is to become a better writer. And there's just things naturally that, that you'll pick up, whether it's, you know, the flow of a paragraph, or how to structure words together, whatever the thing, how to make a thesis, whatever the thing is, how to be more reflective. It's just going to be easier for us to teach it if we have some experience. Just to you know, use another athletic metaphor or analogy. Not all of the great coaches have in players. It's not a prerequisite, but having having played a game before, having played basketball, having played baseball you're going to, a lot of times it's an advantage, right? Because you know how to do the skill and it helps you teach it. So that's one reason. If you become a better writer, you'll become a better writing teacher. But just in general, I, th- I think there are so many benefits for writing outside of teaching or that will like, not direct directly, but tangentially. A better writer helps us think more critically, helps us learn to embrace ambiguity. I think if I just look at when, you know, my, my growth, when I kind of started writing, I feel like I've become, my thoughts have become clear. You know, if you want to organize an essay or a chapter or a book or whatever it is, you really got to get your thoughts organized before you attempt to write something. So I just think it's, it's in addition to helping me teach writing, it's made me a better thinker, a clear thinker, a clear communicator. There's all kinds of benefits there. Awesome. I love that.
0: Uh, yeah. Yeah. You have you you mentioned this earlier. I'd like to kind of you know um, go back to this, but you have some really cool resources in the appendix of writing in the social studies. Can you share specifically about some of those resources with the with the re- uh, listeners?
1: Yeah, two two come to mind. One is I think we all have our our Achilles heel or just the way that we do things. If I didn't have a planning calendar, I honestly don't think I'd be able to teach anymore. And I'm maybe being a little histrionic, but having so whether it's uh at, at our school we have you see each class three days a week you know some schools have five days a week whatever it is but in there just just a planning calendar template and this is i feel like this is teaching one-on-one to a certain extent but have you know if it let's just say it's it's three you got your three box just a, a simple table right three boxes across every week that that is is really what what runs my life as a teacher. If you have an idea, because I think the great thing about being a teacher in Lebanon, you could be on summer break. You could be watching a show. You got an idea for teaching. I, I just throw it right in the calendar, right? Idea Throw. it we talked about brainstorming, throw it right in the calendar. And that really helps me. When, when is the guest speaker coming in? What is the homework assignment? When's it due again? The planning calendar. And I know this will sound simple to a lot of people, but it really is the most important teaching tool at my disposal. One that I came to a little bit later is what I would call like a unit map but you know a lot of times we talk about backwards planning but if we want to think about what's all the content and I would never be able to do this the first time I taught a class I've only came to this later in my career but if you taught a class for a few times and you have a good idea all the content that you want students to know in this unit put I try to put it right on right on one page so here's everything you'll need to know and be able to do in addition to the content I will put the skills that we're working on for that unit, the big ideas, the essential questions for that unit, the big ideas are the enduring understandings, and then the key details. And then, you know, what the method of assessment will be. And I'll just give that to students at the beginning of a unit. Here's everything you need to know for that unit. Sometimes it's cool to look down and see um, some more of the proactive students. They'll actually like check off each key detail as you go. They'll, they'll like to see that, but just have it all in one place. This unit, this is the name of the unit. This is the essential question of the unit. Here are four big ideas for you to consider. And we're gonna work on our speech writing and our speech presentations for this particular unit. Here are the things that we're working on. Here it's right in front of you. I think that, that it really helps for teachers. If support providers wanna know what you're doing in class, if parents wanna know what you're doing in class, one piece of paper,
0: boom, there you go. Excellent, excellent. I love it. The, uh, you know, Aaron, we're we're kind of coming to a close here, and I just got to tell you, you know, your book, Writing in the Social Studies: A uh, Practical Guide for Teaching an Essential Skill, is extremely practical and uh, easy to read and use. And you know, someone could take a look at it and start putting those together in their plans right away. And then those resources at the back—I mean, that's awesome stuff. But before we finish up, do you want to say anything about? Uh, one or two of your other books. You got uh, "Teacher Land" inside the myth of the American educator, and uh, and then you also have your your book about the, the baseball in Israel.
1: Yeah, I mentioned uh, I think a little bit. I was telling the story about pitching in the Promised Land, and that was that was you know a one a wonderful experience. I think I mentioned Boulderham and Tel Aviv is kind of a a fun way to think about it. When I when I finished that book, I thought this you know I enjoyed the experience. What's next, or what else do I think that I might have to say? And Anthony Bourdain, um, his book Kitchen Confidential, was was pretty impactful. I, I really appreciated the book. but I began to think, at least the, what I, what I took from the book was he humanized the kitchen profession. He helped all of us understand, what it's like to be a chef what it's like to be a cook and he wrote beautifully warts and all he showed us what it was actually like we've all been to restaurants we understand what it's we think we know what it's like we infer what it's like to be in the kitchen from sitting at the table and eating the food and i thought that similarly you know we've we've all gone to school for over a decade maybe some people closer to two a lot of people who have never been a teacher think they know what it's like to be In education to be a teacher because they've been in education at least they've sat in the desks but when i looked about in society locally nationally at how teachers were being portrayed what are just generally what what people seem to understand about teaching and there was there was a gap i i saw a gap between how what teachers are thought of saints, slouches, etc., and what it's actually like. So taking my inspiration from Anthony Bourdain in Kin- Kitchen Confidential, I wanted to, I tried to improve our education system by humanizing the teaching profession to actually lend a human, a human feel, a human voice to what it's like to, to be a teacher. And so that, that was the idea talking about what it's actually like for teachers at open house. We have our open house coming up. This week. What's it like for teachers at open house? The parents come in. What's it like at back to school night? Why are lunches so important? Do people know that you can't use the bathroom when you want to? How many jobs? I know there are jobs out there, but you can use the bathroom three times a day for 10 minute windows. So figure that out. Just those, those little things that, that people might not think about. How about chaperoning a dance? Forget about it. I haven't chaperoned a dance in over a decade. That is one of the scariest moments in my high school career. I had to do it when I was a young teacher. I did it a couple of times, and I am really glad that I haven't done it in a while. Can you imagine? can, Can people out there think about what it's like to chaperone a high school dance on a boat, on a ferry in the San Francisco Bay, and the windows are fogging up? And you got to go in there and 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 maintain the rules and the, the di- a different kind of social distancing, man. I, I tell you what. So if you if if people can really understand what it's like to be a teacher, I think education policy will be better. I think parents will be more informed, and I hope that you know young teachers coming in will have a better feel for for what our profession is all about. Very cool. Very cool. And by the way, you know, as just as a note, it only gets gets
0: worse as you, you you know, you go to the other side into the administration side and you're like, like, yeah, and, you know, like you said, the different type of social distancing and the the other things that happen and, you know, the, the good fun uh, events, like, uh, you know, I, I really think that uh, um, someone had a major joke with me that, uh, you know, my path led me to become a principal who, which means that I'm in charge of making sure that homecoming and prom are run exactly perfectly. Right. That's right. That's right. It's like, really? Thank you very much. That was priorities. Exactly. So nice. Uh, Yeah, that's cool. So uh, um, appreciate you sharing a little bit about teacher land and that good stuff. So uh, um, Aaron, before we close, if someone wanted to connect
1: with you or learn more or where would you send them? Yeah, it's a good question. I must confess that I'm not very prolific on social media. It's not just not the best venue or outlet for me. I'm I'm certainly there. So at Aaron Pribble on Twitter, LinkedIn is is good. Um, so for for better or for worse, you know, I'm not sending out 25 tweets a day, but um, I'm certainly there. And those are those are probably the two the two best places to go to start. Excellent. Well, I have uh, links in my show notes as well as links to the books, to all three
0: books. And uh, um, wish you the best all, with, with all that. I got uh, two more questions that I like to ask my guests, and it goes like this. So the first one is, how
1: do you keep going when so much is going on that
0: you may want to quit?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I hate to sound sanctimonious. I certainly don't mean to be, but thinking about the kids, you know, keeping them front and center in your mind there. I I love, I really do enjoy the high school age developmentally. I mentioned earlier that I think the kids keep me young. So just focusing on the kids, there's, there's a lot of stuff that can distract us in this profession. It's really to your point about prom and graduation. There's a lot, there's a lot of distractions in education, but at its heart, it's about the students. It's a it's a it's a dynamic human endeavor. It's very personal. It's present. You're creating in the moment, and if you can focus on the young human beings in the room that you're building connections with, that you're helping become ideally better human beings, more enlightened thinkers, better better citizens of our country. If I can kind of focus on that idea, then um, I, I tend to end up in a good place. I like it. I like it.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you?
1: Yeah, I love I love that question. I appreciate it. There are a handful of teachers in my past, but the one that I'm thinking about right now is a guy named Cap Lavin, who was my English teacher, my senior year of high school. He was an amazing basketball player. He was like the player of the decade for. Um, USF University of San Francisco, his son, Steve Lavin is a college basketball. He has been a coach. He's uh, an announcer. People, any basketball fans who are listening may know him from whatever March Madness or ESPN things, things like that. But his dad cap was was a truly amazing teacher um he was inspirational he was creative he was just he was just a fun guy when i had him he was towards his, the end of his career so he would do things like like throw paper clips at you or sometimes throw a little piece of candy at you but those just because you know just if you liked you, just if he appreciated you uh, the other thing that capped it is he he co-founded the national writing project And this, it's a national organization that does a lot of what we've been talking about today. It's horizontal professional development. It's teachers, in addition to to other folks and administrators coming together to write themselves and then to help teachers become better writers. And there are chapters all over the country. My local one here is the Bay Area Writers Project at the University of California, Berkeley. And I've done a number of workshops with them. So just thinking about, and uh, Cap had written a number of books as well. Never thought that I'd do that at any time, but but thinking about Mr. Lavin, who who I idolized just as a basketball player growing up, knowing that he had written a couple of books. And now just where I'm at in my career, I just, I owe a lot to him for, for so many different reasons to, for showing me what it's possible to do to pursue an athletic career and then go into teaching. And then just thinking about, man, he co-founded the national writing project. That's a, that's an amazing thing and look where it is today. So I'll always be grateful to Mr. Cap Lavin. Awesome. Thank you so much for,
0: for sharing your story. That's, that's very cool. Hey, Aaron, thanks so much for talking with me today. Writing in the social studies, a practical guide for teaching an essential skill is an awesome book that teachers and administrators should read, annotate, take notes on and dog ear the pages. See what I did there, right? <laughs> you know, thanks so much for creating this
1: powerful tool. I'm wishing you the very best in all you do. Yeah, well, thanks so much, Dr. Mileto. I really appreciate you having me on. And this has been a, been a great conversation.
0: Wouldn't it be great to have a day to renew, rethink, and reboot in these unprecedented times? That's the mission of the Impact Summit. This will be a moving forward, next day implementable, every learner can be successful kind of day. Register your team today at impacteducationsummit.com. The date, June 23rd. The organizer is Susie Pepper Rollins, three-time author and national presenter. Just head to impacteducationsummit.com for details. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio.